You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Lindsay Zerbrug was unsure of what a future in sports would look like for her when she became disabled at age 13. But then she found wheelchair basketball. She now plays for the USA Women's Wheelchair Basketball National Team and won a bronze medal at the Tokyo Paralympic Games. What is really cool is that she was recently selected to be the first female athlete to appear on a special edition Cracker Jill packaging in 2024 with a partnership between Cracker Jack and the Women's Sports Foundation. So let's chat with her. So, Lindsay, I always like to start by just asking folks how they got uh, uh, involved or introduced to adaptive sports. Yes. So, my journey to adaptive sports started actually a little bit further back. I was an able-bodied basketball player until the age of 13. I played probably around six and a half years at able-bodied basketball. And then I was 13 years old. I went to my very first ever able-bodied basketball camp three hours away from home. And while I was at this camp, we, it was probably like day three into it. And we are all sore. This is my first year on the high school senior team. And I'm like five foot and everybody else is like five, eight, five, nine. So I'm the tiny little nugget around there. And we're all super sore after a few days. And our coach said, Hey, we're going to stretch this morning. Why don't we do some yoga? I've never done yoga before. And now no, nobody else had ever done yoga before. So we were watching this guy on a YouTube video and doing all these crazy stretches and it came to downward dog and I'd never done this before, but I was watching the video. So I put my hands and my feet on the floor, made a little teepee on my body and I pushed my heels into the floor. And then all of a sudden my back really started hurting. And then I was like, that's kind of odd. And I remember, all right, we finished the stretches. I must've just overstretched it a little bit. Go to get breakfast. I'm not hungry. And that is weird for a 13 year old. And then slowly over 36 hours, I gradually became completely paralyzed from my waist down without any feeling or any function. I remember like 12 hours after I did the stretch, I couldn't really remember how to use my hamstrings. And then 24 hours, I was starting to lose balance a bit where I would try to like walk on floor tiles, but I kept falling and hitting the walls. And my teammates and coaches just thought I was being goofy because I was kind of a little nut. But I remember that one day when I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't stand what's wrong. So I call my mom and she's like, well, if you can't stand, I'll come pick you up. We'll figure things out. And what ended up happening is I grabbed my leg and I threw it and I heard it hit the ground, but I didn't feel it hit the ground. So I'm like, oh, that's really not good because I couldn't feel my legs at all. And then after going to the hospital, getting a misdiagnosis, about a month later, I ended up getting diagnosed with something called a tethered cord. And what a tethered cord is, is when you're a baby developing in utero, your spinal cord attaches to your L2-3 vertebrae or your L1 vertebrae, which is about your hip level, mine attached to L2-3. So the way I like describing it is it's kind of like a bungee cord where you can stretch and move just like your spine can stretch and move with you. But at a certain point, it can't stretch any further. And because it was inserted so far down my back, the downward dog stretch, it didn't snap it. It just overstretched it and completely onset paralysis. Freak accident. I choose not to do yoga anymore. That's my personal thing. 
I could see where that, you know, <laughs> where that would come from for sure. And, and, yeah. and so within, I mean, it was that sudden, 36 hours, a day and a half. Yes, completely. And then fortunately for me, while I was in kind of like the recreational uh, occupational hospital, my recreational nurse was actually the head coach of a juniors wheelchair basketball team in Portland. And while I was there, she's, hey, I heard the used to play back. You can still do that. When you're out of here, come off to one of my practices, give it a try. And I was actually able to hop into a basketball chair in the hospital. And I thought it was a great time, but I also didn't really have balance and I wasn't strong. So I took a year off and then eventually my mom was like, you really should go try this. You're like, your life's a little bit more together. And she said, all right, let's go. And we went there kind of doubted it, instantly fell in love with it. It was the first time that I felt fast again since I started using a wheelchair. And in those basketball chairs, you can just basically go all bumper cars on people. And I thought that was a great time. <laughs> so at least from an introduction or, or from a, a lag time perspective, you, there wasn't much lag time. You were introduced from a sport that you were used to playing to a sport that you could continue to and still be able to play. Absolutely. It was quick. And uh, so. So t take me through the your journey a little bit. Obviously, once you started, when, once you went to that that program and and, uh, and and fell in love with it, obviously, how was your progression like and and your journey after that? It was slow, as anything. When you first start a new thing, it is you're not great at it. I've never seen anybody immediately start a whole new sport and be instantly amazing. So that was an unrealistic expectation that luckily I did not have at that time. I think some people do think that way though. And that is very hard if that's your mindset. For me, I was always a very good shooter and that helped me because I still was able to keep that good shot that I had, even though I was sitting down. My problem was strength, power, and just learning the game. Like, Able body basketball and wheelchair basketball, they're very similar in a lot of the concepts, but also very different. Like mm -hmm. in wheelchair basketball, you are you can literally hold somebody in the backcourt so they can't even go to the front court. You can't do that in able body basketball. That's just called holding, but it's all about chair positioning. And then so it took me a while to learn how to do those new things. But once I was able to grasp it, it came a lot easier because I did have a shot, I became valuable to the team because a lot of kids don't, didn't have a consistent shot just because they never had like really put hours and hours and hours into making a consistent shot. So I ended up playing for Portland for a year. And then I started playing um, with the Seattle women's team. And eventually I played with their juniors team for probably like two, three years. And then probably in my, yeah, in my junior year of high school, which was my second season of playing wheelchair basketball, I started being heavily recruited to go to college. And mm -hmm. I've always hated school. I still don't like it. I just know I need to do it. And I like becoming educated. But I did not ever have plans to go to college. So when this whole wheelchair basketball opportunity showed up, I took grasp of it. I was recruited by University of Texas Arlington, University of Illinois, and University of Whitewater were kind of the big three. So senior season comes around, still playing, still getting recruited. And ultimately, I decided to go to the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. And I ended up playing five collegiate years there. Never won a single national championship, never made it to a championship game. 
But during that time there, I was able to learn work ethic and I learned like how to manage my time and what it takes to actually get to the USA level that I wanted to do. Because ultimately my goal is, was to be on Team USA. And while we might, I might not have any like medals or trophies to show from Whitewater, they did teach me the chair skills and every other bit that I needed to succeed. And I did succeed. In 2017, I tried out for the USA team for my very first time and I made it. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And it was definitely a rebuilding year for Team USA because mm-hmm. 11 out of, no, nine out of the 12 people who were on the Rio 2016 team retired. And then after 2017, two more of those people retired. So very quickly, in my second Team USA season in 2018, I was almost one of the more veteran people, or I was one of the more older people because I was 18 and I had teammates who were 13, 15, 16, 17. So throughout my five years of Whitewater, I kept trying out for Team USA and made Team USA teams all the way up until Tokyo 2020. Then COVID happened, but I trained hard enough and stayed on the team each year to be able to compete in Tokyo technically 2020 Paralympics, but it's really the 2021 Paralympics. Team USA got a bronze, very hard fought and well-earned. Right now, after that, I decided to have a little mini quarter-life crisis. And I was graduated from Whitewater, decided to come to the University of Alabama to pursue a master's in health in um, human nutrition. I had already graduated from Whitewater with a degree in health and human performance, but didn't really know what to do with that. So I took a gap year. And next year, I should be completely graduated with my master's and look to an internship to complete my RD exam, which will be amazing. And and I have to go back and ask why, uh, out of the colleges that were recruiting you, why did you end up choosing Whitewater? So I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here. UTA (laughs) was a little slow on their paperwork. I was looking for something more professional. I absolutely loved them there. I would have wanted to go there. I just was looking to make a decision and I thought they were taking too long. Illinois, I felt like I could have had a more family supportive environment. They're a great college and all that. I was just looking for a more like small town feel. Mm -hmm. And since I was a country girl growing up, I knew that Illinois is right in the middle of the city. That's a, that's a big college UTA middle of the literally in the middle of Arlington, huge college. Alabama did not really, didn't recruit me at all. So I knew I wasn't going there. And then Whitewater, that was the only small town feel, more kind of family oriented vibes, but they also had a very recent success of winning national championships. So I probably went there for, I would say the small town vibes because I just, I'm not, I'm a country girl through and through, <laughs> but also I knew that I would probably get a good amount of playing time there because they had a lot of people graduating. And like at Texas, they had, they're basically, it felt like their starting lineup was the USA team lineup. So I just knew realistically, I probably wasn't going to get a lot of playing time. And I don't know, that's my favorite way to learn is by playing. Yeah, and like you said, it, it was it was it, it was and still is a great program, particularly yeah. in, in in adaptive sports and, and wheelchair basketball specifically. So so it wasn't a wrong choice at all I, either. So and 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 I assume since you've played five years there, you exhausted your NCAA eligibility, so you can't play at Alabama or or. Well, so I was actually this is where things start getting tricky because we everybody got a COVID year back. 
In right. wheelchair basketball, we're technically not under the NCAA, so we get five years of eligibility. So technically, I had six. So my first year at Alabama, where we won the championship, that was my COVID year. And then after that, I was thought to be done. But we looked back on my career and saw that out of all of the years that I've been playing for six years, I had only had an opportunity to win three times. One year got the coach canceled it. One got canceled by COVID and one we had ineligible lineups. So Mm. we all we did wrote a letter to like the board and was like, hey, here's the deal. I've only had an opportunity to win three while most everybody has an opportunity to win five. And my thought was it can't hurt to ask. So I asked for one more year and was granted it. Mm, So I ended up technically having seven. But if you look at the amount of opportunities, I didn't. And nobody else had asked for it. So, I mean, sometimes you just got to ask in life and see what happens. (laughs) So as a a girl who wasn't planning to go to college when you were young, uh, now, now (laughs) now you're getting a master's degree. What are you planning to do, obviously, once you complete that program? So I got one more year of full classes till I'm officially done academically with my master's. Then I'm looking at a 1,200-hour internship, which is basically going to be kind of like clinicals where I'll go to a hospital for X amount of hours and do that. And then I'll go work in like a community uh, nutrition setting for a little bit. And then I might go to a different kind of setting. And then after that, I'll have my master's, a verification statement for just oh, she has completed all this. She's like legal to be able to take things. I'll have completed the internship and then I'll be able to take the registered dietitian exam. My goal is to work in sports dietetics. I would love to become or introduce nutrition to the Alabama Adapted Program. It is something that we currently do not have. We don't have one single person. And while the university does have nutritionists available, they're very limited. And like, if I have an issue, I can't just be like, Hey, can you come talk? Like you have to schedule and it takes a long time to get them on board. So having somebody in house would, I think greatly benefit the program. I don't know if I want to work USA one day, but that is a possibility. I know that I'm all for writing papers right now, or I'm into research a little bit. So my thought is for a few years, I'm going to go work with the sports team go check them out. And then maybe when life starts slowing down a bit, I'm going to continue into research because there is almost no research out there nutritionally that is published on adaptive athletics of all disabilities. You're absolutely right. Lots of research opportunities in the adaptive sports space particularly, but that's definitely one of them too. And Mm -hmm. so going from a campus like Whitewater to obviously a campus uh, like Alabama, and particularly in the adaptive sports space, because Alabama has obviously the beautiful adaptive sports facility. What's your your kind of feeling on, on going into that environment? I am so happy that I chose Whitewater for my first five years, because if I had gone to Texas or Illinois, I think I would have just been drinking out of a fire hose. It was those are some big towns. And I don't think a little country girl is ready for that. After five years, though, I was ready to start moving like my time at Whitewater. All I did was get more confident in my abilities. I grew as a human to the point of where I'm like, okay, I can completely navigate a big city, a big town. And as soon as I got to Alabama and saw all the facilities, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I'm blessed for the time that I had at Whitewater, but this was 
um, an upgrade on a lot of things. Like we have a strength and conditioning coach. We have an athletic trainer. I have an actual locker room in Whitewater. We are in the back of a, um, like an equipment closet and we have some plywood boxes and that's where you stick your basketball chair and your reversible at Mm -hmm. Alabama. They have an actual locker room. So it makes me, it gives me a very grateful mindset for all that, like grateful of the time in Whitewater, but also in Alabama where I can look back and be like, wow, this is making things so much easier. How can I help other universities to get this far? Yeah, and, and hopefully Alabama is the future of adaptive sports across, you know, across colleges and universities because they continue to to be elevated. Uh, and so hopefully that's not uh, an exception. That's the norm, right? Absolutely. That's the, that, And that's our goal. Our big goal at Alabama is we don't want to lower our standard. It's our goal to raise the bar and raise the standard to that of an able-bodied D1 program. So anything that we see like football or volleyball or like the big sports on our campus, we want the same and we're going to strive to get there. And that's very hard because no other university has done it to the level we have yet. So we're kind of mini little trailblazers. Yeah. And that's that's the epitome of equity and parity and inclusion is that, you know, uh, that uh, you're, you have equal access to equal facilities and opportunities as as anybody else as an adaptive adaptive athlete. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I know that with the with the bronze medal in 2020, um, there's, you know, probably a little bit of hunger for more for more in 2024. Where, where do you stand on on Paris next year? Oh, I'm excited for it. We got a squad. Becca Murray came back and she's like the little mini Steph Curry of wheelchair basketball. And our people that have been on the team, like Rose Hollerman and Courtney Ryan, they are super experienced, smart. We got Natalie Schneider. Like we have a very experienced, smart squad. Like if we can, we've gelled. We've been with each other for a number of years. I'm feeling really good about it. I think it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not really going in with any expectations because that's just not who I am. I kind of just am a fly by the seat of my pants kind of girl, but it's we're we're looking good. And and obviously there's some continuity as you mentioned, you know, when you first joined there was a bunch of newbies including yourself, but now there's a little bit more con- continuity now with mm-hmm. the team since it was young, a young team in 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 20, it's now a more uh veteran centered team this year, right? Or coming Absolutely. Up. Yeah, and it helps that some of those people came out of retirement to come back and almost just provide a little bit more of seniority on the team. So, I like it. And so what what uh what's on the horizon in terms of, you know, either camps or competitions between here and obviously, I mean, we just we just uh celebrated the one year launch, you know, earlier this week with uh one year to Paris. So between now and that one year from now, uh what are some of the things that you're looking forward to the most? So for us as a USA team, we go to a training camp, most likely in Colorado Springs, about five days out of each month, where we'll train for like three days straight, fly in, fly out, a very quick trip. And for us, we just got done with, oh my gosh, I think it was in May, we went to Dubai, and that was for our world championships. Now, the top four finishers of world championships earned a spot for qualifying for their zone. Like a zone is North and South America, Asia, Atlantic, Africa, Europe. Those are like the major zones. And 
This year in Santiago, Chile, that's in November, that will be our Paralympic qualifier. Now, since we earned a bronze in Dubai, we have officially earned one spot for our qualifiers in Chile. So basically, if we win the whole thing, we get gold, then we will automatically have a bid and be qualified for the Paralympics. So our big push right now is this is almost equally as important because if you don't qualify, you're not going. So there isn't even a thought of going and trying to win a gold. Mm-hmm. So that's the next big thing on the horizon is everybody's training for that, trying to get in the best shape to give us the best chance. Now, if we don't get gold in the Chile tournament, then there is kind of like this last chance tournament where of all the teams that did not qualify for their zones or a good number of them, I don't know the exact number, but they're going to come in and then the top four from that tournament will also qualify automatically. Mm. So there's a little bit more pressure. I don't know why, but the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation, the IWBF, they dropped the number of teams from 12, I believe, originally down to eight. So mm. only eight teams are qualifying for Paris. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> Makes it a lot more competitive for sure. I don't understand, but I just play <laughs> basketball. I was like, it, it's a big money maker. I don't get why they do that. More opportunities for people. But whatever i'm just the athlete that does the balling <laughs> and sometimes it's best not to even try to worry about that right just oh it's just not my job on, exactly my focus job. On, on playing the game <laughs> absolutely and and Lindsay, uh tell me about your connection with the uh, women's sports foundation so i actually initially met them by applying to be or i think i, I was nominated to be sportswoman of the year two years ago or last year, one of the last two years. And I actually made it to like one as one of the finalists for the team environment. And that was because of all the accomplishments that I had done in Tokyo. I was nominated for MVP in Tokyo. Didn't get it, but still a nominations. Amazing for a player's first time at a Paralympics. And then by winning, I hit the game-winning buzzer beater kind of buzzer beater there's 0.7 left on the clock but the game winning shot to win the national championship here at alabama my first year and they wanted to recognize me for that and all the other efforts so that was kind of my first almost taste of the women's and sports foundation and then i know they're also working a lot with uh i believe cracker jill so i met them through that as well yeah which is what i wanted to kind of kind of talk a little bit about so i understand um and I love that. I love Cracker Jill, by the way. I mean, I grew up with Cracker Jack, so it's nice oh, to see here. there's Cracker Jill. And and so how did, uh, so tell me a little bit more about your connection to that, because I think um, what's on the horizon is very exciting. Absolutely. So I am, I've eaten Cracker Jack, I would honestly say probably one of my whole life. It's one of my uh, grandpa's favorite snacks. So I saw this opportunity on some, I think one of my teammates, yeah, one of my teammates, Darlene Hunter, she posted about it and she was like a free to apply. So I said, why not? I was like, this is an amazing opportunity right here. And the fact that somebody could be literally featured on a bag, I'm like, that's pretty cool. But I also saw it like just as I get older, I'm learning that the world is so much bigger than my individual self. 
And I'm at a point of where a lot of people have given time and dedicated time into helping me that I'm ready to be able to help others and get into that position. So when I was applying for it, it was my hope that I could kind of inspire people. Like, obviously, I wanted my face in my bag, but the main reason is I wanted to to have wheelchair basketball on a bag. And I want some random person who's going through a grocery store or is at a stadium to see a young athletic person in a wheelchair, a female in a wheelchair, and to get curious and to do some research and be like, why is she in that giant chunk of metal? What is this sport? But also I wanted to be a role model for any young girls out there because I had a role model. Like Sue Bird has always been my favorite female athlete. And I know how she inspired me in her game, but I wanted to be able to do that for somebody else. And so um, do you know the timing on that yet? Do you know like when you'll actually see uh, your your image on the on a ba- Cracker Jill bag? So they should be released from what I've been told is around next spring at the start of baseball. I haven't been given a specific date though. Otherwise I'd let you know. That <laughs> well, that's be next great, spring. right? Uh, that's because because for at least for me and probably many others that that uh, partake in that that snack, it's around baseball. I mean, I it's, it, you get you get that when you go to Take a ball me game. Out to so. the ball game, yeah, literally. Exactly, and uh, and and that kind of goes back to the parity and equity and inclusion that we we talked about earlier, right? To to be able to have a, an adaptive athlete on on a product, you know, that's a well-established and well-known product is, is huge to uh, raise awareness about uh, disability and sport. Most definitely. And I know that if anybody has not seen wheelchair basketball, like I had never even heard of wheelchair basketball until my recreational nurse in the hospital actually said, Oh, did you know this is a thing? And for me personally, it's not like, I had never even knew a person in a wheelchair who was around my age, who was young, who was athletic. I thought that people who were in wheelchairs were like the elderly or people who just couldn't walk long distances because they had a hip replacement. And that was naive little me. And I know for most of the world, or a good bit at least, it's not out of ignorance that they don't know. It's not that they don't want to know. They've just never been exposed to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that as soon as these bags come out, then they will be exposed to it. And then they can, if they want to be curious and do their own research, there you go. I know they're going to fall in love with it. Everybody who's come to a wheelchair basketball game, first they're like, oh my gosh, there's crashing wheelchairs everywhere. This is dangerous. They're just running into each other. And then they realize that it is so much more than just metal clanging on metal. And it's a beautiful sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and to hear it, yeah, the sound that you hear and the and the the images of of wheelchairs crashing into each other, yeah, it, it does look, uh, you know, more violent. It's than intense, it really is. and it sounds more violent and intense than it than it is. I mean, even though it is intense, but but you don't you realize that there's safety. You don't realize that there's safety built into it. So I think oh, I think ex- exposure and awareness is is critical to that. And so and do that you get also, a, Go ahead. And that also is going to help other people like so for the whole cracker jilt thing, it's posed around this idea that sometimes all it takes is for like somebody to believe that they can do it is to see that somebody else has done it first. Mm-hmm. And same with me. When I first started, I was terrible. My defense was garbage. The only thing I had was my shot, but that was not enough to actually be like, oh yeah, you're in a game. Great. You can shoot pretty good, but you're literally letting people go by on defense. 
But if people can see a success and that other people can do it, I think they're more willing to do it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, Lindsay, will you get a uh, a lifetime supply of uh, Cracker Joe? Or, I don't know. Or... People keep asking me that, and I still <laughs> haven't asked them. I probably should ask for that, though. Be That's smart. right. That's right. <laughs> I wish. Well, I'm I'm excited to see what what that uh, packaging and and uh, and bags look like. So that's exciting. Anything else you want to want to uh, talk about um, outside of either sport or school? What other things do you like to do? Um, anything else you want to kind of just share uh, that I've not asked you about? Um, probably just as an overall message to all those young female athletes out there: you can do it. Don't listen to people who say that you can't. There's a lot of people in this world that have self-doubt. So you got it. Go out and try something new. And just because you're a female, that is an amazing thing. You are a female. So go dominate. Um, that's kind of what I got for y'all. Yeah. And and so I always wrap up. I, I, I tend to wrap up with a question just in terms of uh, what does sport mean to you? Sport for me was a way to be set free in a lot of areas. And I'm not saying that I'm captured by my wheelchair any means. That is not the message here. I Wheelchair basketball and able-bodied basketball, that was the time that I felt happiest when I'm playing sports, when I'm with a team, when I'm collaborating with my teammates, when I'm just making relationships with other people. I love the grind. I love just being able to get stronger and smarter. And then lately, I've been loving to just teach and to help people along because I am old. I'm in college. I'm 24. A lot of my freshmen are born in 2006, 2007 now. And I'm seeing them go through every single thing that I went through freshman year. So the beauty about sport is you learn to play with everybody. And then the beauty of wheelchair basketball and adaptive sports is everybody's coming from a part of their life. You don't know what somebody else's had going on in your life. They've Everybody's had some kind of not tragedy, but we've all had difficulties that we've had to come overcome. Some are very physically visible like mine. Others are not. So be kind to everyone. You don't know what they've been going through and just go work together towards a common goal and go win whatever you're doing. And then if people just want to um, connect with you, are there certain platforms you're on that, that people can follow your story or your journey? So I'm mainly on Instagram. I try to check it pretty regularly. It's uh, Butcher Babe 12. And let me explain the name of this before you give me that look. But so this was a name created by my dad. And my dad's really into hunting. So we did a little bit of butchering on the side because we uh-huh. like clean, fresh meat. And then he's like, I was like, Dad, USA is asking me to make an Instagram. What do I do? He's like, well, you're a butcher. And obviously, look at you. You're a babe. And you're number 12 on the court. Butcher, babe, 12. I'm like, all right. And this was before that I was like, anybody really even knew me. So I'm like, I guess I'm doing this. This is my first time on Instagram. And then I remember my, I had that for a year. And then the next year I had our media person was like, Hey, that's not professional enough. You need to change that. So I changed it to like Lindsay Zerbrook, something or other. After that year, I did not think I was going to make another USA team. So I switched it back to butcher babe 12. And then I kind of blew up with basketball and that's how people knew me. So I feel like I can't change it. So you can't go back now, right? Yep. (laughs) 
Well, I to, do appreciate you explaining that because you know, you sometimes when you see Instagram handles, you just never know what oh, the my gosh, no. what the story behind it is. So that's good to know. <laughs> well, thanks, Lindsay. No problem. Thanks for having me. This was awesome.